Today we're gonna look at what Jesus was talking about when he said there, you will see these greater things. We put those verses on the screen uh, a lot of times just to kind of take a little break in between singing and speaking in between, you know, the whole thing is worship because uh, we want you to meditate on that. And today we're going to talk about as we get into John chapter two, in fact, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter two. We're going to get into those greater things that Jesus was discussing because chapters two to chapter 11 are all the miracles, the public ministry of Jesus. And I can't wait to get into that. But before we do that, I want to celebrate one thing. In fact, I want to celebrate you because you may or may not know this, but this week, our church here in Cherokee County, uh, you know, we've got location in Cherokee County, we've got location in Pickens County, and then we have a location for all the other counties in the world called Revolution Online. Um, but here in Canton this week, we were awarded, we knew that we were going to be awarded the Hasty Elementary Partner of the Year because of all the food drive and all of our, just our partnership with them. But we showed up on Thursday morning to talk with them about how we can continue to work with them. And the superintendent was there and you, you know, you kind of walk into a conversation. You're like, oh, I didn't know you were going to be here. And, uh, and you're like, okay, what's kind of going on? They're like, well, we tricked you. We surprised you uh, because we actually want to let you know that you're the entire Cherokee County School District's partner of the year because of your generosity. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm glad you're clapping because that is you. That is your generosity. That is you making that difference. And we, you know, accepted that reward, award, however you want to say it, um, on our church's behalf because Again, it was you bringing, uh, buying those things and bringing those things. Again, not just here in Canton, but in Jasper as well, and, and supplying needs in our community. And I actually made a comment to you last week, uh, just how we always want to be the type of church that if our church were to go away, our communities would notice. And so this last week, our community noticed your generosity and the things that you're doing. So again, thank you, church, both locations. I mean, you guys have been so faithful and so generous to give, and not just here locally, but as we do these life on mission opportunities, you guys have been making a huge, huge difference. So I just wanted to celebrate you for that. Thank you for doing that. It is you. It is your, uh, God's work in you and all of us together making a huge difference in all of our communities, all right? So now let's pray. Let's thank God, and then we'll get into our sermon today, all right? Pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for who you are and your faithfulness to us. God, we talk about this often, how we are generous in response to your generosity to us. As John 3.16 says, you so love the world that you gave. And so God, we always give in response to that because you went first and you are first. But God, thank you for a church that believes that that tries to live that out, God, how we want the world to know the hope that we have in Jesus. And there is so much negative going on in the world. And, and if we're not careful, God, we'll just get caught up in all the headlines and all the stuff that is going on, and we will miss that we have an opportunity to love our neighbor. So God, I thank you for a church that has not forgotten that. And we always want to be a blessing to our, our communities, God, obviously here in, in Cherokee and in Pickens County, but all over the world. God, as you give us opportunities to do that. And so thank you for a church. Uh, God, this is such a, an incredible honor to be a, recognized as a community partner. And we don't do it for those kinds of things, God, but we do it because we want our community to know Jesus. And so thank you for those opportunities. 
And God, as we open up your word today, I pray that you would speak to us. You would communicate to us through your word as we're going to get into the very first miracle that you did and help us to see how you want to do those miracles in our lives, God, if we will simply trust you, believe in you, and obey you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I'm excited if you can't tell. This is one week away from Easter. It is crazy that we are already here again. Um, you know, we didn't even get to have Easter together in person last year. And so I'm incredibly excited. And so the Sunday before the Easter Sunday is what's called Palm Sunday. And it is when Jesus triumphantly entered into Jerusalem, which we'll actually get into in John chapter 12. Maybe we'll get into it by next Palm Sunday. We'll see. All right. Next year. But as we get into that, that's where the the shift kind of happens in the Gospel of John, which is kind of interesting to me that today we're starting in John chapter 2. From chapter 2 to 11, you see his public ministry, and there's this shift that takes place in John chapter 12 when he moves into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, and everybody, and you're like, what's Palm Sunday? It's when they, all the palm fronds, they were laying down for him because he was the king, right? He is the king of the universe, the king of the world. He's the son of God. And so as he moves into that section of his life and ministry, and then we'll get into that from John chapter 12 to verse, or chapter 19, where Jesus is teaching his disciples, but it's this display of who he is. It's this display. He is the king. He is the real son of God. But the entire reason why John chapter 12 happened when he moves into Jerusalem and all these people believe him is because of the miracles that happened between John chapter 2 and John chapter 11. So that's why I'm trying to connect these two things for you. In fact, the verses that were on the screen earlier that I referenced at the end of John chapter 1 Jesus tells Nathaniel, you will see greater things than this. And so chapter 2 through chapter 11 are these greater things that we're going to see. And these greater things are what led to historically this Sunday on the church calendar of Palm Sunday when he makes, he makes this entry and everybody's worshiping him because they've seen him do all these greater things. They've seen him do all these Miracles, And so today we're going to see his very first miracle that happened at the wedding in Cana. All right. So let's go. John chapter two. I'm going to read the first five verse, first five. I got to slow down because I get so excited, man. Oh, we're going to read the first five verses and then we'll talk about it. All right. It says on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus says to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Verse five, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now I'll reference back to verse five on Mother's Day, which that's coming up. All right. In May. So be prepared for that. So I'll reference back to this verse there, and we'll be in John chapter 3 at that point, and it'll still tie into this whole kind of wedding theme, and so it's kind of really cool how even today's message and that will go hand in hand with one another, so I won't dig into that too much. I'll make some points about what Mary said, but we'll get into the role of Mary as a mother as we kind of talk a little bit more on Mother's Day, but what we need to know here, what's happening is now Jesus has called some of his first disciples, and they're invited to a wedding. Now, m- more than likely, this is a wedding 
of a family member or a family friend. And that is why Jesus and his disciples and his mother are invited. And weddings in the um, biblical sense were not one to two day affairs. They were six to seven day affairs. It was kind of a really you know, not drawn out in a negative sense, but it was, it was a to-do, man. It was a, it was a celebration. There's a, a whole thing that goes along with that biblically and the, the metaphor of weddings. In fact, some theologians have said his first miracle started with a wedding and this whole thing's gonna end with a wedding. So it goes from, you know, and the whole Bible started with a wedding and a marriage and it's gonna end with a wedding and a marriage. And so it's, it's fitting that Jesus' first miracle starts at a wedding. Now, what you're going to see, though, is it's not that Jesus didn't know it was going to start there, but it kind of starts in a way that is um, almost unceremonious. And what I mean by that, it starts because just a problem arises. And the problem was they ran out of wine. And, and Mary, Jesus' mother, because, again, more than likely this was a family thing, she probably had a responsibility. She probably, again, if this is a family member or a close family friend, Mary may even be kind of what we would call today the wedding coordinator. You know, she's the person that's got to coordinate this stuff, that kind of make sure these things happen, that everybody's where they, they're supposed to be, and, you know, the food is there, the drink is there, the tents are there, the chairs are there. You know, all these different things have got to be organized, which I learned early on in my pastoral ministry. If I'm going to do a wedding for somebody, there better be a wedding coordinator that ain't me. Right? I'll never forget one of my first weddings I did. I showed up. I'm like, all right, we ready? And the bride and groom were like, yeah, what do we do? Are oh, you hadn't figured this out? So now my very first pastoral care is I'm like, you got a wedding coordinator? Great, we can move forward. Because if you don't, we need to talk about that because you need somebody, right? Because it's a crazy day. It is, it is a chaotic scene. And, and, and especially as we've, even, you know, again, as, as we kind of even ramp these things up, it's like we're, we're trying to outdo everybody with these awesome weddings. And I'm not saying there's necessarily anything wrong with that. I'm just saying sometimes we can take the greatest celebration ever and make it the most stressful. And so this is a stressful time. And so Mary, Jesus's mother, is stressed. And now they're getting towards the end of their time together, and they're running out of wine. And back then, it was the groom's family that was responsible for all of that, not the bride's family. I don't know where along the line in history it switched. But if you have all boys, you'd be like, I, I like that it switched. If you have all girls, you're like, can we go back to that, right? And so more than likely, Mary is probably on the groom's family side. And it's their responsibility. And she doesn't want the bridegroom to be embarrassed because they've run out of wine. So she turns to Jesus and it's like, they got no wine. And Jesus responds, his, his response, and in fact, in English, especially today, it sounds rather harsh because he says the word woman. It doesn't say mother. Now, again, before you read the Bible with your 21st century critical mindset, let's just slow down a little bit before you think you're holier than Jesus, right? 
Like, like, and, oh, I've seen these supposed theologians on, I don't even have TikTok, which is just like, if you get your theology from TikTok, come on. My, mm. I'm just saying, like, if, if that's where you're getting your theology, do better, church. But I've seen dudes like, oh, Jesus said this, he was that. I don't think you know, I don't think you're holier than God, all right? So again, we have to kind of stop a little bit and be like, okay, what is Jesus doing here? Is he being rude to his mother? Well, this word here, woman, in Greek is really hard to translate in English. In fact, one scholar said it like this. this it's, it's not rude, but it's certainly abrupt. Woman to us seems like too distant and possibly condescending. And some translations will say, dear woman, but that's too sentimental. So it's neither one of those in the Greek. It's definitely abrupt, but it's not rude. Here's the best way to think about it. Jesus is nicely rebuking his mother. So it is a rebuke, but he's not a jerk. And what he's getting at here to his mom is he's establishing something that we need to understand at the beginning of his ministry. He says, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, anytime you hear the phrase hour, it's referring to Jesus's purpose, his mission, the entire reason why he came, which we'll celebrate next week, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So all of that is his hour, his time. And that's why the gospels spend kind of some time, not only on the G on Jesus's ministry, but his death, burial and resurrection. Cause they want you to know everything was leading to that. So Jesus was saying to her at the beginning, and this is kind of the rebuke part of it. He's saying, listen, I'm not here to do ultimately what you as my mother say I should do. I am here ultimately to do what my father says to do, which Luke says it like this. He was about his father's business. Long before Elvis came along, Jesus would have said TCB. Now, if you don't know Elvis or anything about that, it meant taking care of business. So Jesus was setting a tone with his family. Listen, I have a higher loyalty. I have a higher hour. I have a higher purpose. And he was doing this at the beginning of his ministry, which helps us understand. Remember, we talked last week about following Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means I am now a part of a new family. I'm a part of the new family of Jesus. And now my heavenly father gets to direct gets to determine what I do, when I do it, where I go, how I go, all those things. He gets to determine what I do. So this is a rebuke to Jesus's mother. We need to understand that. Jesus is lovingly saying, just because you're my mama doesn't mean you get an inside track with God. Just because, again, Jesus' brothers and cousins all follow Jesus. And Jesus is saying, listen, this ain't a family deal in the sense of family blood ties. This is a family deal based on a different type of blood tie. And it's important for us to understand because if you're going to follow Jesus, sometimes it's going to come at contradictions with your earthly family. 
There's going to be moments where your earthly family's like, well, you should do this. And Jesus' heavenly family says, no, we do it like this. Which I did a sermon years ago that says it like this. Your theology should always trump your biology. I, I am determined by who God says I am and what his word says I am and what his word says I should do. I am not bound by physical associations. I'm not bound by my body. I'm not bound by my earthly relationships. So Jesus is setting a tone here at the beginning. What does that have to do with me? Now, we'll get into this a little bit on Mother's Day. I just want to, you know, kind of poke fun at it here a little bit. I think Jesus' mother understands that. It's like, okay, I get it. Because, I mean, she heard from the angel. This, this man, this baby is the son of God. So she knew, okay, at this moment, before he was my child, he was God's. And this is a struggle for every parent, right? Understanding that children are a gift from God, and before you love them, God did. And so they have a higher authority, a higher calling. But it is kind of funny to me that the woman turns to the servants is like, I hear you, Jesus. Do whatever he says. Now, again, we'll get into this on Mother's Day because she responds as a very godly mother. But here's kind of the difference you need to know. In verse 3, she's coming to Jesus as, her, as his mother. But after the rebuke of Jesus, she goes to the servants in verse 5 and responds as a believer. So the first time she's responding to Jesus as a mother, the second time she responds as a believer. I think she understood that just because she was his mother, she didn't have ex explicit rights to him. She didn't have the ability to command him. This is why I would think if Mary were alive today, she'd be like, don't pray to me. I'm not greater than Jesus. She understood her faith was exemplary in that she got it. She had to believe he was the son of God, just like everybody else. So she didn't have access to Jesus simply because he was her son. She had to come to Jesus in faith, just like everybody else. And that's important to note that. But I love what she says, though. Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. That phrase right there is probably the greatest phrase. If you want to learn something from Mary, learn that. Listen to Mary say to you today, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever Jesus, the Son of God, tells you. Now, this brings up a concept that I want to kind of park on a little bit, which is why I'm explaining this whole dynamic of what's going on here. But this brings up a concept of we normally, especially if you're a believer, you want to know what God's will is. And there's a lot of us that a lot of times we almost kind of get paralyzed. We're like, well, should I do this or should I do that? Should I marry this person? Should I marry that person? Should I take this job? Should I take that job? Should I sell my house? Should I stay in my house? What should I do? Should I turn left or should I turn right? Should I drink orange juice or grape juice, right? It's this idea that it's this almost kind of paralyzing to us. And, and don't worry about the weather. I'm just going to preach louder, all right? <laughs> but there's kind of a concept when it comes to God's will that I think that we get backwards in following Jesus. What we have to learn 
is his will is whatever he tells us. So let me give you this point. You may want to write it down. God's will is whatever. God's will is whatever. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not trying to be cool and speak like a teenager these days. Like, oh, it's whatever. I'm not saying that. Don't leave here today and be like, Pastor Jason said, God said I could do whatever I want. That is not what I said. You are not listening. Here's what I'm saying. His will is whatever he tells you. That's his will. But there's so many of us that are like, well, I want to know his will, and yet we're not doing what he already told us. See, he has the ability and the power, and again, this is what it means to follow Jesus. He has the ability to command whatever. And this is why, again, you see Mary in kind of her progression in her own faith telling the servants, listen, I don't know what he's going to tell you. I don't know if he's going to tell you to turn the water into wine. I don't know if he's going to tell you don't listen to me. I don't know, but I trust him, so do whatever he tells you. So there has to come a point in your life, in my life, where we understand that God's will is whatever he tells us. And if he tells it to us, then that's what he wants us to do. And so let me say it to you like this. God has the power to tell you whatever he wants. Whatever. That's why I say God's will is whatever. It's not whatever you want. It's whatever he tells you. Now, what's interesting is she says do, which is the action he tells you. So let me say it to you like this. What is God's will for your life? To do God's ways in your life. His will is for you to do, to act, to live his ways. And here's what I have come to realize. If you'll just live your life doing the ways of God and what he told you in his Bible, then you will along the way figure out his will. So let me say to you like this. So many times we get paralyzed. It's like, I don't know what to do, so I'm not going to do anything. Well, here's what you should do. Just do whatever he already told you. And as you're doing that, he'll direct you to whether or not you should do the other thing. You with me when I say that? So it's whatever. It's whatever he tells you. So another way to say this, it's not whatever. If you were here last week, you don't get what you want by doing what you want. You don't get to do whatever you want. You can't do what you want and then baptize it as though it's God's will. If what you're doing directly contradicts what he already told you. There's a second aspect to this. So that's kind of the first one. Let me give you another verse here. Colossians 3, 17. You don't have to turn there, but I do have it on the screen this time. Listen to what Paul said. He said, and what's that next word there? Whatever. Let's try that again. I know it kind of pulled up as I was saying it. And what's that next word there? Whatever you do, do it in word or in whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So there's two aspects to this. You have to do whatever he tells you. And then there's going to be times where you're like, well, he didn't tell me if I should take this job. 
This is where people are like, God, should I take this job? So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. You didn't tell me. Well, here's the thing. If you are living a life where you are first and foremost doing whatever he told you, then it becomes easier because it's less about what should I do and it's whatever I do. Whatever I do, I'm going to do it. Word and deed as for the Lord. Because here's the thing. Not everything that you should do is written in the Bible. Not everything that you should do. But if you are doing everything that is written in the Bible, then you'll learn how to know God's will. So then it's like, well, if I take this job or that job, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because whatever I do, I'm going to do it for the Lord. That's what I'm going to do. Whatever I do. So it's both parts. You get what I'm getting at here. All right. Again, that's just part of the sermon. We got to move on. So now let's get back into the story. Verse six, because now we're going to see what he tells the servants to do. Verse six. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. So I think you see both aspects of the point that I was just trying to make. First, the servants had to do what he said, fill up the jars. The second aspect, it says, and I love this phrase, they filled it up to the brim. Now, I used to think that was kind of a Southern term, but apparently it's a biblical term. It just means to the top, all the way up. So notice you see both aspects. They do what he says. They don't, they don't question Jesus. Jesus, why should I fill these up? I need to know your reasoning here, Jesus. I need you to tell me why you want me to do that before I do that. How many times have y'all done that? How many times have y'all had, oh, here's the real spiritual way. I'm going to pray about it, Jesus. You know how many times where God's like, you can quit praying about that. I already told you. I already told you. Well, should I marry this guy? Should I marry this girl? Are y'all doing unholy things together? You probably shouldn't. Do that first. Live by his standards first. Live by the ways of God first, and then it'll become real clear. Because here's the decision about how you marry somebody. Do they help you follow God better? Not are they hot or are they rich? That's not how we make these decisions, y'all. So again, they do whatever he says, but then you see the second part. How do they do it? They do it as though they're doing it for the Lord. They fill them suckers up to the brim. Now that phrase means complete. You know, there's a lot of conversations even in church world today about excellence and doing things with excellence. And, and I think that's good, but I don't, we don't ever want excellence to, especially when it comes to church world, to get in the way of, you know, authenticity and those kinds of things. And so I think a better word to say is completeness. Do it to completeness. Do it all the way. Don't do it halfway. And so I thought of this phrase, and again, you guys know I like alliteration. Don't obey halfway. See, they didn't obey halfway. They filled them suckers up to the top. And then look at what he says. It gets weirder. 
And he said to them, he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, I love that John the Apostle put this in there in parentheses. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, you dang right they knew. Because here's what you need to know about the, the Jewish purification laws. These six stone jars, which some theologians have pointed out that six of them, and I just thought it was interesting, it is verse six, and there's six jars, and six is the number of incompleteness in the Bible, and seven is the number of completeness. And so some theologians have pointed out that Jesus ultimately is replacing the old system with a new one, and that is true. And here's a cool thing. This miracle is actually happening on the seventh day from when we were in John chapter one and, and when John the Baptist, John the witness first shows up on the scene. So now we're seven days later. So there is some significance that a shift is happening between six and seven. I don't want to push that too much. I just thought it was cool. But here's what you need to know. The Jewish people took their cleansing Seriously, because in the Old Testament, they had laws about purification. Now, over the centuries, what had happened is they started upping them. And if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, hopefully when all the world craziness, you know, COVID and all that stuff, we'll get to take another trip. But when you go into bathrooms, there are special cups and special things for Jewish people to wash their hands because the way American people wash their hands ain't good enough. Like, you got to take extra steps. And this was pre-COVID, y'all. We weren't even singing happy birthday, right? And all that stuff. So in a Jewish mindset, especially this is why the Pharisees and the Sadducees always knocked Jesus because he was doing things to them that were unclean. So these six stone jars, and what you need to know about stone is the reason why they were stone is because they were cleaner in that. It's like why we use stainless steel today, the the germs and stuff didn't stick to them like they would to other things. And so you got these six stone jars that were used to wash hands, to bathe in, to wash utensils. And Jesus tells the servants, fill them up. They do. Then he tells the servants, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. Huh? You want us to take him bath water? We, we know your mama said they ran out of wine. And, and we know she told us, do whatever you tell us. So, so we're going to do it. But why do you want us to take him bath water? Have you ever felt like God has asked you to do something weird? If you haven't, you haven't been following him long enough. There's going to be times where Jesus will ask you to take bathwater to somebody real important. He'll ask you to do something that culturally in our day is so weird. Oh, we don't do that in this culture. And as our culture has changed, right? The more biblical that you try to live your life, the weirder you will look. So you need to know that. God is going to ask you to do things biblically that are culturally weird. But they did it. 
Now, I, I want to point out something because it, it, it just kind of throws it in there. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine. So here's the question. When did the water become wine? I don't know. But here's what I do know. When they drew it out, it wasn't wine. When he tasted it, it was wine. So I do know this, at least contextually. The miracle came after their obedience. The transformation came after they did whatever he said. But how many times in you, in my, in my, in your life, do you like, God, I better see the miracle, then I'll do it. I better know that this is going to work out, then I'll do it. And just a little side note, that ain't how it works, y'all. Because if that's how it worked, then that would mean you were God and you had the ability to command him. And you don't. So I don't know in your life when you will see it, but here's what I do know. Don't wait to see it before you obey, because then you'll never see it. This is what I'm saying. Don't obey halfway. But again, just imagine this. And I love that John gives us the commentary. Oh, they knew. Just imagine the servant's face. Look at how he responds. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, I mean, the bridegroom up at this point had nothing to do with this, but he's getting all the credit and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, if you want to know what that word means, literally the Greek word means when they are intoxicated. So for those of us who were like, this wasn't really wine. It was wine, y'all. Why did we argue about this? It was wine. Like, well, it was watered down. Yes, they did temper it down, but they would temper it down to about the same strength of our current day beer. But the wine Jesus made wasn't. Look at, he says, when they've drunk freely, then the poor wine, they give the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. You have kept the undiluted stuff until now. So just imagine these servants, they're like, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it was a ladle. I don't, I'm pretty sure it probably wasn't their hand. Like, you know, like they had some kind of, but just imagine they're like, you want us to take the bathwater to the mountain? What? Here we go. I mean, they're servants, it's plural. And you know, I've been around you church people enough. You know, they were gossiping on the way over. You know it. I've been around y'all long enough. I don't know why God wants me to do this. What is, who's, that, who's that pastor think he is anyway? Here's your bath water, sir. And then the master tastes it. And he's like, you know, all you wine drinkers, like you smell it. You lick your lips, you gurgle it, you know. And then the, the servants are like, oh. I know, sorry, there's probably a toenail in it. I mean, you know, there's probably some hair in it, I, I'm sure, because we've been washing folks' feet. I know there's some, that little grit, I mean, I know it's special, right? But the master's like, it's the best wine ever. 
No one does this. And, and you just got to imagine the servant's face. You're like, what? That was bath water five seconds ago. Now it's wine? Again, you want to see the greater things? Follow Jesus. And you'll see them. There'll be times in your life where your countenance on your face, face will change like that because you're like, I just did what God told me to do that was so weird, and I thought I was going to be ashamed and made fun of, and now. And again, that's why I love John's like, they knew. Oh, they knew. They knew. Just imagine how stunned they would be. And this is why you're like, Pastor, why are you parking here? Because I want to park here for a second. They saw the greater thing because they didn't obey halfway. They did whatever he told them. And they did it as for the Lord. And the Bible just doesn't tell us their reactions. But I think when we kind of stop and meditate on it, this, again, this is how you should read the Bible. Don't just read the story and pass on. Be like, man, what was that like? And then the bridegroom gets all the credit for this miracle that had taken place simply because they did what Jesus told them. Now, John gives us two verses, kind of summing up the story in this. Look at this, verse 11. This, the first of his signs... The first, again, this is a reference to the greater things. The first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested, same word for revealed, his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this, they went down to Capernaum, or in Hebrew, Kafarnahum, with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. So John was saying... This was the first. Now, normally, when we hear the word first, we're like, what comes after first? Second and third and fourth. And, and that's on one level what this means. But what's interesting, the Greek word used here is the Greek word arche, which doesn't just mean first. It also can mean primary or main one. And so it's interesting that John puts this miracle here, and he says this was his main one. Why? Because of the symbolism that was happening. I mean, they just ran out of wine. Jesus' mother was just freaked out because she didn't want an embarrassment happening. And it becomes a main miracle, a main metaphor. Because most often, that's what miracles are. They're operating on two levels at the same time. They're meeting a need, but they're a metaphor about how Jesus has the power to meet a greater need. And what is the metaphor? What is the miracle referencing to? It's referencing to there's a shift happening between the old and the new. Between the old way you got clean and the new way you're going to get clean. From the old way of washing with water to the new way of being washed in the blood, which that is what the wine referenced. 
And that's why Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took a cup. And he said, this is the blood of my covenant. So what was Jesus getting at here? He's saying, listen, not only do I have the power to turn water to wine, but I have the power to make your life new again. I have the power to transform the old system into the new. If you'll believe, if you'll trust me, if you'll do whatever I'm saying to you, I can perform this miracle in your life. And this is what we're going to talk about next week for Easter. So you make sure you want to be here. We're going to finish out chapter two. And I promise you don't want to miss it. I can't wait to preach that message. But at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, what is he saying here? Just because you were a part of a family doesn't mean you're a part of my family. Just because you came out of a certain religious system doesn't mean that you're in my family. Because if you're trying to come to me, you're trying to get access to me through a family tie, through a religious tie, by trying to do all this stuff, that is not how this works. It works ultimately if you believe in me. And that's why John tells us, this is the first, manifested his glory and his disciples believe. So here's my last point and we're done. See the signs, man. John chapter 2 to John chapter 11 is all about telling you the signs. See them, believe, believe in Jesus, and then you will receive his greatest miracle. Because his greatest miracle is what we're going to look at in John chapter 3 when Jesus tells Nicodemus the new birth. That's his greatest miracle. Transforming your life making you clean, making you new. And if you'll believe, then that's what he'll do. And if you do believe, and he has done that in your life, then why wouldn't you want to do whatever he says? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace in our life. And thank you for Jesus, who, as we've seen today, performed his first miracle, but it wasn't just his first, it was his primary. The miracle was a metaphor talking about how he could take our dirty lives, our incomplete lives, and make them new make them glorious, make them the best, if we'll just believe. So God, I pray right now, if there's anybody here listening or watching who hasn't trusted and believed in Jesus, I pray today that they would believe and that you would perform that great miracle in their life of new birth, where you regenerate them so that they can see the truth about who Jesus is and respond in faith. Again, nobody looking around or talking here as we close, but God did these miracles so that you would believe that he is who he said he was. And so today, if you'll believe and trust him, you can be saved. So nobody looking around or talking, but if you want to trust Christ, believe. For the first time, it goes like this. You can pray with me. You can say, Father, thank you for loving me. That you sent your son in my place for my sin. He became my sin, 
He became the incomplete, broken system. And now, if I trust him, I can be saved. So I ask you to save me. Forgive me. Make me new. Thank you for loving me. Again, nobody looking around or talking. If you just prayed that with me, we want to know that. If you would just raise your hand if you're in one of our locations. Just lift your hand up so we can see you. We want to celebrate with you. Thank you. When you get a gift in your hand, we got men and women walk around and put that in your hand. When they do, you can put it down. And The moment you have an opportunity to fill out a digital connection card, let us know who you are. But then those of us who have trusted and believed in Jesus, the statement is still the same. Do whatever he tells you. Don't obey halfway. God's will is whatever he tells you. And if you're really wrestling with, well, I don't know what to do in this circumstance. Well, whatever you do, do it for the Lord. Learn how to walk in his ways and you'll know his will. Father, we ask you to do this. We thank you. Thank you for transforming us, making us new, making us clean. And then also, God, thank you for commanding us because your commands are always for our good and for our joy and help us to obey them. Not halfway, but all the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, church.